so uh, okay, so finishing up um, predation, we ran out of time last time. So um, we talked about predation as a as a <coughs> let me give you the big overarching context here. We've been talking about interactions between organisms. We talked about uh, competition between organisms and how this shapes uh, community structure and drives evolution. And now then we moved on to predation, the interaction where one of the organisms' fitness is increased and the other one's fitness is decreased. And that this too shapes community structure um, and in many different ways. One way, we talked about keystone predators and how when you remove a predator from the system, uh, it can completely change the competitive interactions of the organisms in that ecosystem. That was the, the uh, starfish example. And we also started talking about predation as an um, evolutionary agent, as a selective force. And I started showing you just some pictures. Um, some of the best evidence for that is is, is what we see in the characteristics of prey populations. So just very quickly going, going back here, the evolution of, um, of defense mechanisms like these spines on the cactus that wards off predation, spines on a, a porcupine that wards off predation. Here's another defense mechanism of an octopus when disturbed, puts out that big ink cloud. Um, and here are some caterpillars that uh, look very much like snakes that are more threatening to a predator than a caterpillar, but they're still caterpillars. Um, an alarm, um, many snakes have, have a coloration on their tails to attract the predator to their tail rather than their head if they're going to be attacked. And that, this is one of my favorite bugs. This is its tail versus its head. Um, and then we talked about uh, uh, alarm. You like that one? So do I. I don't know why. <laughs> it's so silly. Uh, uh, and then we talked about uh, eyes, or things that look like eyes, that we assume uh, are, are also would attract a predator to the, to the wings here rather than the head. And, and, and then this system, which, which can develop into having these eyes or not, depending on the substrate. Okay, so here we are. Uh, this is a, another, uh, some form of caterpillar that, that uh, this is what's called cryptic coloration. In other words, it, it blends into the leaf of the plant that it lives on. And if it, if it develops during this time of year, it looks like a leaf. If it develops during the time of year when the plant is uh, making these uh, catkins, these flowers, it actually looks like the reproductive part of the plant. So it has developmental mechanisms, a developmental switch in the same species that can make it look one way or another depending on what the plant looks like that it's uh, living on. And again, as we talk about these, I hope you will constantly remember all of the molecular biology that you learned um, from Professor Walker. Now that's a very good question. Um, the question was, does it actually change the phenotype while it's developing, or do both phenotypes develop and one gets selected out depending on the, what the background is? And I don't know the answer, um, but that's an excellent question. Uh, and um, I will see if I can find out the answer, but very, very good question. <coughs>
and it would be interesting either way. I think it would be more interesting if it actually changed the development, because figuring out what the cues were at the molecular level would be, would be interesting. Um, okay, here's one that uh, leaf hopper that looks, uh, resembles the leaf that it lives on. Uh, uh, cryptic. Am I on? Um, here's, uh, this is a, this is a insect uh, looking very much like the leaf that lives there. Um, I think we'll see one of those in the clip. Here's another, this is a praying mantis. There's its head, there's its legs fitting in with these flower petals, uh, butterflies. Here's a slug on a leaf. There are many, here's a flounder um, uh, blending into the sand on the bottom. And there's another one which you can barely see. There's its eyes. Uh, and in, in, in this way, avoiding predators. <clears throat> and the amazing thing about these flounders is they can change their color very rapidly. And, this, and they can match the substrate. And this one, look, is, is, is trying to look like this checkerboard, which it would never encounter in nature. Um, but you can see these checkerboard patterns on it. So how they do this, I haven't, I, you know, the, me the actual mechanisms for this uh, are probably not that well understood. But it's pretty convincing. Um, here's a toad blending into its substrate. Another toad, look, you can barely see it on this uh, rock. Uh, some more insects that are looking like uh, spines on a leaf. Here's a moth that looks very much like the twig that it's on. Uh, and then there are these alarms. This guy's trying to say, you know, uh, don't come near me. I'm bigger than I, I look bigger than I really am uh, by putting out these. Uh, and then there are uh, frogs that, that use a different strategy that draw attention to themselves, that, but they have a, a good reason to do that because they have a poison. So they're saying uh, to the predator, you know, go on, move on to some other frog because if you attack me, you're going to, I'm going to taste bad. Um, and then there are chemical defenses. This is a bombardier beetle uh, being pinched by somebody's forceps here, and it's spraying this very uh, nasty substance on the predator. And you can see it can direct it in any direction. Um, and there's a wonderful story about this beetle oops, that was studied, was studied extensively by scientists at Cornell University. There's a whole field called chemical ecology where people actually study the chemistry and the this would be a great MIT um, problem because there's a really interesting chemical reaction in the, in, the, in the system here that creates this explosive force. They put two things together and uh, creates this, this force here. And this is a very acidic solution. And these scientists were out in the field in the middle of the desert studying these guys, and they, they needed an acid to develop some chromatography reaction. So they had the beetle spray on it. And, um, they made the beetle a co-author on the paper, uh, and it got by the editors. That's an interesting story. So there's a paper out there with the beetle's Latin name as a co-author on the paper. It's just a little, little story. Uh, and here's a, a bomb, an, another beetle that doesn't have that defense, but it mimics the posture. So a predator comes up, and this, this gets into this whole area of mimicry that we're going to talk about, <coughs> where the, there, there are a lot of uh, systems where you have a defense mechanism, and then another organism evolves to mimic that defense, even though it doesn't have 
the real uh, the real thing. So this this beetle just assumes the posture, and some of the predators think, oh, I better avoid that one. Um, <coughs> fireflies uh, also are known. Fireflies have a particular flash that attracts the females. Have a flash that attracts uh, the ma uh, mates of their particular species. Some of them have learned to mimic the flash of other species, and when the the, the male is drawn into that flash, they actually eat eat him. Um, another uh, another evolutionary uh, <coughs> a function of of the predatory force. And then there's many examples of this mimicry. These are two two butterflies of different species. One of which is toxic. Um, are very unpalatable to uh, prey uh, species, and the other is not unpalatable, but because it looks like that one, it's less likely to be preyed upon. And people have done experiments um, to test hypotheses about this and shown how, how that works. And there are lots of uh, also fly species that have evolved to look like bee species for the same reason. So there's several of, of these um, um, mimetic systems. Okay. So we're going to move on then to uh, mutualism. So we talked about we've talked about minus minus interactions, competition, minus plus interactions, which was predation, and mutualism is plus plus, win win. Both organisms benefit uh, from being in, con in contact with the other organisms. Okay, and several of the clips I'm going to show you have to do with mutualism, so I'm going to go through this rather quickly. And these examples are, for the most part, from your book. Um, I'm showing this example because it also has an experiment that goes with it in your book. These are um, tree hoppers, uh, little insects that, uh, that suck on the, the sugar solutions from the tree, and they squirt out the sugar for the ants that they're symbionts with. They feed the ants because the ants, in turn, protect them from spider predators. And there are many systems like this. And uh, I show you this one because they did experiments, uh, and you can do them easily. Here's a study plot. These are the plants that have the ants on them, and these are plants. You can remove the plants. And, uh, and then measure whether the plants have an effect on treehopper survival. And so this is the average number of young treehoppers per plant with the ants, without the ants. So with the ants, uh, there are, are more. And they also showed in this study, though, that if you, in years where the predators of the treehoppers, the spiders, were less abundant, their, the, the symbiosis loosens up. There's no point in feeding the ants if you don't need them to protect you. Okay? So these are dynamic systems. Uh, so tree hopper survivorship increased by the presence of ants. Okay. Another system just like this uh, is where ants live in these thorns in acacia plants. These are hollowed out thorns um, that provide a habitat for the ants. And, but when the plant uh, is vulnerable to uh, herbivore, grazers, the ants all come out in force and scare off the, the, the herbivore. Um, this, is, this is my favorite, what, absolute favorite 
one of my favorite biological systems of all time, and we're going to show a, a clip of this. Um, these are uh, uh, tree cutter ants that go out and get pieces of uh, leaf and bring them back to the nest, chew them up, um, and they farm this fungus on the leaf uh, chewate, or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> you know, they, they pulverize the leaf, and they, they actually farm uh, a fungus, and then they eat the fungus. That's their food. So there's this mutualistic interaction between uh, the ant and the fungus. And there's even a much, there's a really interesting complexity here that you'll see in the clip where the ants actually also carry a, a bacterium on their chest that makes an antibiotic that keeps the fungus farm free of infection by other fungi that might take it over. So it's this beautiful, beautiful co-evolutionary system um, that predates human beings <laughs> many, many, many millions and millions of years uh, of agriculture. I mean, the plants are literally farming and of antibiotics, of natural antibiotics. So I'll stop talking so we can get to the clip. Um, the, another example of mutualism is uh, that is one of my favorites are cleaner fish. There are these, uh, in coral reef ecosystems, there are cleaning stations where these little fish, uh, cleaner fish, which here's one, in, uh, hang out in these giant fish and turtles and other, other uh, organisms in the ecosystem come to these stations and these cleaner fish pick off little ectoparasites from these giant fish. Um, so the fish get cleaned and these guys get fed. Uh, there's one moray eel being cleaned by one of these fish, which, I mean, that, that could, they could wipe that guy out in two seconds if it wanted to make a meal out of it, but it's not worth it to get a meal because it's better to get parasite free. However, wherever you have mutualism, you also have cheaters. And so this is an example of, and I love this picture because it kind of has the cheater smiling, you see. And this is a fish that has evolved to look just like this cleaner fish, but it's not a cleaner. And when it comes into these cleaning stations and it dashes in and just takes a chunk out of the fin of one of these fish because they're off guard. They're not, you know, they're not on guard for fish that look like this. But, and you can get into beautiful, beautiful population, population analyses and game theory analyses of these systems because the presence of these cheaters actually strengthens the mutualistic bond between the cleaner fish and the host because the, 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 the fish that's being cleaned is more fit, the better it can recognize, tell the difference between these two, right? And the, sharp, the better it is at recognizing the real cleaner fish, the more fit it's going to be, and that tightens that, that uh, relationship. So it, it, it's a really interesting dance, and you can do game theory analysis. Okay, more mutualisms. Um, these are all from your text, so I'll just... Oh, those are my cats cleaning each other. I thought you shouldn't eat my, my cats. Uh, they clean each other, and then they fight. Uh, okay, so enough from me. Let me show you uh, some clips. And, 
if I can make this thing work right. Okay. So the first one, well, I'll just start playing. So your, your challenge is to figure out what these are about. 